Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Uh, so a couple things before we get started today that I just wanted to say to the listeners out there. One is that we are going to have a live show soon in my favorite organizing city, which is Hamilton. Oh. So pay attention to us for that uh, and keep a lookout. We'll, we'll post details as we can on our Twitter and on our Facebook page, but it will be this month. Yeah, 26th of, of July, uh, which is the Thursday night. Mm-hmm. We will be in Hamilton, so see you then. And the other thing that I really wanted to say is that I've been getting a lot of questions uh, from listeners about how we do the podcast, like how is like technically, like how do we do it? Mm-hmm. And from people who are thinking of doing their own podcast. So I just want to remind people that we do have a Patreon patreon.com slash Sandy and Nora. And one of the levels on there is that we will make a workshop for our patrons to show people how to do what we do because it's so simple. And if you want to have a podcast, you should have a podcast because it's pretty simple. And uh, I think it's it's pretty doable. And, you know, you should do it if you want to. Yeah, the technology out there right now means that even if you're recording on your cell phones, depending on the kind of cell phone that you have, um, like an iPhone, the recording quality is pretty good. So... You know, you can go from zero cost to quite a lot of cost. Mm. And we would be happy to tell you uh, how to hack it together. Because I would say that we're pretty expert hacks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I would say that I'm better than than, than a hack, but I'm definitely an expert hack. And I don't know about you. (laughs) I don't know if I want to address that. Let's move on (laughs) to, to the subject matter today, which is... But uh, the war on bikes. The war on bikes. And and maybe not just bikes. Like I think maybe we should talk more broadly about pedestrians because I think that the the way that the war on on cyclists versus the war on pedestrians happens is a bit different. But at the end of the day, we're talking about the war of cars. There's been a lot of attention, especially in the city of Toronto, about pedestrian deaths and cyclist deaths, because this year there has been a spike in both. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the discussion that has come out of these tragedies is relevant regardless of what city you live in in Canada, regardless of whether or not you're in a rural area or in an urban area. There are people dying um, in the downtown streets of Montreal, of Toronto, of Ottawa, but also in rural communities as well. Uh, There were three boys who were killed on reserve in northern Manitoba earlier this year. There was a man killed outside of Ottawa in a rural community earlier this year. These all have similarities that I, I find personally, like, this is one of those is- issues that the solutions are so easy and so obvious, and the opposition is so fierce. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I, you know, especially, you're mentioning uh, the the increase of deaths in Toronto. Um, you know, there's there's been plans that have been proposed to city council that haven't passed, and for what reason, I don't know, because, um, I don't know, it's, it's politically useful to some especially conservative counselors to uh, pretend that there's some you know war quote unquote on on a car <laughs> on cars in the city like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me why these politicians would want to be responsible for the deaths of so many people 
instead of just doing the responsible thing and creating um, an urban infrastructure that appreciates that uh, some people don't drive and some people walk and some people bike, but everyone needs to get places. And so there has to be an urban infrastructure that supports all the different types of ways that people need to get around in the city. That's right. Now, there's a lot of different ways that we can kind of enter this conversation. We could talk about um, bad urban planning. We could talk about driver's mentalities. Certainly, I, I'm someone that has been a cyclist in Toronto. I was a long-distance cyclist to commute for about five years. And before that, I grew up in a town where you need your license as soon as you could get it. And so I, I commuted to high school in a car or on the bus for about four or five years. Uh, well, for the five years I was in high school, it was, of course, uh, I was either on the bus or I was driving in my later years. And so I, I, I definitely have both perspectives, though my perspective of a cyclist or as a pedestrian is is my more dominant kind of side because I live in a in an urban center. I live in a city that isn't very cyclable because we have like an 80 meter cliff that separates the downtown. <laughs> mm, and difficult. Um, and so I'm more of a pedestrian in, in Quebec City. I think I understand all of the pressures that go in that, that kind of makes this powder keg situation, certainly that we see in Toronto. And I know you, Sandier, you also have both uh, experiences and, and now maybe more on the driver's side than the cyclist side. Yeah, you know, I spent a lot of years uh, cycling in the city. And then because uh, I do a martial art in which there in which there are a lot of spinning kicks, I got a intense knee injury one day that I'm all healed from. Don't worry. But, um, you know, like knee injuries are the type of thing that even when you're healed, you have residual effects. And one of those residual effects for me is that I can't bike anymore. Brutal. So, yeah, it sucks because I love biking, but I, I can't bike anymore uh, because of the pressure that it puts on my knee. And so I became more of a transit user and walker. And then I started started working uh, pretty far out from where I live, from the core, and it became pretty necessary for me to have a car. So I, I have both perspectives as well. I am a constant driver now who was once a constant biker. What makes drivers so angry in Toronto? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of answers to that question. I mean, when I'm trying to think, <laughs> when am I the most angry on the road is when I'm on Allen Road, <laughs> when I'm on the 401. Oh, really? Those two roads. Yeah, the 401 uh, which is one of the most congested places to drive in the world, the most congested highways to drive in the world, and on Allen Road, yeah, because um, Allen Road is is not is like a, a, a highway that's not really a highway, and it stops very abruptly, and the amount of construction that's going on around where it is is just it just makes it a recipe for gridlock. So right. Allen Road, the 401, and wherever there cons there's construction, which is everywhere. I, I mentioned construct, like I added construction onto it because I, I just realized that, um, you know, the city prioritizes the building of condominiums so much that it can really mess up 
what's happening on the road and the rules of the road and the safety for uh, pedestrians, cyclists, and yeah. and uh, people in motorized vehicles, although less so for, for, for them. But it makes it a really tenuous situation if you've got a, a condominium that's like taking up two two lanes of, of traffic and a bike lane and everyone's trying to everybody has to get into one lane and it's it's just really difficult yeah and it's dangerous those are the things that make me upset not streetcars as some conservative politicians would, would make you want to think <laughs> oh well and, the, and no and that's a whole other thing because like the, the the biggest danger i always felt with streetcars was is tracks right is that you have to drive over the tracks properly because they're slippery mm-hmm. but um but that's also kind of a question of planning and a question of you know when you have someone wobbling on their on their bike indicating that they're going to turn left at college and and spadina and you have to cross like what 35 streetcar tracks mm-hmm. um, gets uh, gets a little bit scary. I I always felt that in Toronto, drivers were so angry, like that everyone was so tightly wound that they were ready to explode. And the news last week that in my old neighborhood uh, at uh, Shooter and Dundas, that a woman took a shotgun out of her car and shot two people in, in a case of apparent road rage. I was like, yeah, yeah. I I probably daily had an had an interaction with a driver where I thought that they would probably do that had they had an easy access to a, a shotgun in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, like it's it's really unbelievable. And 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 why I find this conversation so frustrating is like aside from the fact that the solutions are relatively easy, and we can probably talk about some of those solutions. It's just the most obvious way that the city of Toronto and how many cities prioritize life. And it's like if you don't have four tons of metal, like making you hide in this like weird fort that you're driving around in your downtown, then your life doesn't really matter. And so it's like you're a pedestrian and you crossed against the light. Oh, it's your fault. Oh, you're a cyclist and you're not wearing a helmet. Oh, it's your fault if you got hit. And we'd never really talk about what are those pressures on drivers specifically that make them so violently angry? Like, why would I often have a driver like intentionally drive in front of me to make it look like I was going to be hit? Or or my favorite, when you're biking up beside someone and I'm ringing my bell because I'm silent, right? I'm like, ding, 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 look at me, look at me, don't hit me, watch your door, don't door me. And then they respond with, fuck you, here's my fucking horn, you fucking cyclist. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, okay, can you chill? Like, I, that dinging was not me honking my horn at you. That was literally me being like, I'm silent, I can die, please don't kill me. <laughs> well, what do, you, what do you think is making drivers so angry? Oh, my God. It's like, hey, one, it's the commute. Living out in the suburbs and commuting every single day, like, I don't care how good the radio is or you say the radio is or how much you love spending that time by yourself, like, meditating or whatever the hell. Or podcasts. I listen to podcasts. I know, but so many people (laughs) listen to our podcasts on the GO train, and I think it's just as good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that it really, that there really is a psychologically damaging impact of commuting from the suburbs. And where the suburbs is, of course, is different in in any city that you live in um whether or not your commute is 20 minutes or your commute is like between 20 minutes and an hour based on lights and traffic and this kind of thing or your commute is an hour and a half or two hours it's like we have designed communities 
to make people maximum angry all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's one. And then number two is that we also live in cities. Uh, Quebec City is a really great example of this. We live in cities that weren't designed for the level of traffic that we have. Yeah. But we aren't serious with ourselves to say, hmm, maybe uh, this like the downtown of this city was built for a horse and carriage. Maybe we shouldn't have like six highways of like four lanes each side. So eight lane highways all bleed into the downtown core that just cannot handle the traffic maybe that's the problem maybe that's a problem you know let's put on more highways yeah that's literally not going to cause any better traffic reality like one of the things do you know how much um how much a city bus how many passengers a city bus has to have for it to be more efficient than a car the number might surprise you i'm 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 trying to do some like some deducing in my head. Is it like, uh, I want, I want to say maybe even like, is it, is it low? I feel like it would be low. Very low. Mm, I'm going to guess eight. No, it's even lower than eight. Four? Lower than four. No. Really? Yeah. On, yeah. On the average, because so many people are single driver, um, single yeah. drivers in a car and then the amount of space yeah. that it takes up, it's two. Just two. <laughs> wow. Now, there's also averages too, right? Because a, a two-person bus is, is often averaged by an overcapacity bus, right? Mm-hmm. But if you see a bus that's even got four people on it, that is still more efficient than when you see a line of traffic with, you know, single driver uh, occupants. And so, like, it, it, and this is where it gets really uh, infuriating, that it becomes a left-right issue, where it's like the right is like, give me my car. I want my car. I'm going to shoot you if you get in my way. Versus the left, which is like, oh, we want bike lanes. We want um, to not die on the road. That would be cool if we could not die. <laughs> and it shouldn't be a left-right issue, actually. It, it's <laughs> it not. should just no, be. No, exactly. It shouldn't like, at all be that. It's so weird to me. Like, you know, when I first started, I was, when I first started driving, I was a very, very nervous driver. Very, very nervous. Like, edge of my seat. Practically shaking the whole time, thinking that I was going to hurt somebody. Okay. I'm a much more comfortable driver now. But one of the things that I would think all the time, especially in the city, obviously, was I just don't understand why there wouldn't be bike lanes everywhere. So I can clearly see (laughs) exactly where the bikes Mm -hmm. are. Like, I don't want to be that person who accidentally hurts somebody. And who, who would want to be that person? It's, it's not, it is not a left, right thing. It's like, I mean, insofar as the left is concerned about decency, I mean, maybe, but (laughs) it's, it, it, it shouldn't be like, who wants to be that person who accidentally hurts somebody because we just don't have, uh, a, a road plan that clearly delineates space for people who are walking, cycling, and in a motorized vehicle. That doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to me. No, and there is even like a right-wing argument to all of this, which is like, you know, the more people who are on bikes, the the more you can like get your merchandise downtown through various mechanisms like trucks or whatever, right? Like the, the the amount of money that's lost because of congestion and because of traffic is, is 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 significant. Now I don't give a rat's ass about that, but this is why I'm so confused by these debates because it's like cars are so wasteful. 
There, no one has the right to drive a car, but we've created cities in such a way that they become a necessity for a lot of different kinds of people. Um, and so that would be the kind of person who might live and work against the flow of um, of public transit or someone who lives and works uh, who's, who's, whose job changed and they can't move, right? There's a whole bunch of reasons for why people of all incomes require a car. But like taking your bike lane right off of the road and giving you giving a completely separated bike lane for example in any city how can you be opposed to that like you have to be you have to be just like actually like a bloodthirsty piece of shit to be opposed to getting cyclists into their own place that makes that's a safe way for them to bike and then you can manage the cyclist infrastructure to make sure that there's passing lanes and that um you know that you're not kind of stuck by concrete if you're if you if if someone jumps in front of you right like like the ottawa concrete barrier i was biking in downtown ottawa and it was the first time i was biking with a concrete barrier and a pedestrian jumped into the bike lane to try and cross the street and i was like holy shit i literally can't go anywhere like please don't like i can break but i can't break that fast cuz you just jumped in front of me so there's also mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other safety issues that we can't even get to because because the the opposition is so fierce to even have bike infrastructure that would obviously not just relieve car traffic but would also leave public transit traffic which is also often overcharged and 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 uncomfortable because of how many people are using it you know i think of cities like like regina and saskatoon and winnipeg like cities with huge boulevards and it's like why you don't need these boulevards Mm -hmm. what the hell is the point of this i'm a little sympathetic in toronto where there's not Mm -hmm. a whole lot of options and the the real options are are actually to close certain streets to, to, to to car traffic which is where people go ballistic and they can't even imagine that well, and then, you know, they closed King Street uh, kind of uh, to car traffic in that it's not a thoroughfare anymore. You must turn off of King Street to to relax the congestion. And I mean, people were really frustrated and angry about it for, I don't know, all of two weeks, maybe. Now nobody complains right. about it and it's fine. <laughs> and and <laughs> King Street is great for the streetcars who are just blowing through and carrying um, commuters faster than they ever were before. One of the other problems that I've been frustrated about since I got my license, my driver's license, as someone who was a biker at the time, uh, was uh, education of how to use the road. There hmm. are is an assumption that uh, people who are cyclists know the same things as people who are drivers which is Mm. an error of an assumption to make and a dangerous assumption to make and a dangerous thing to require from cyclists who may have no interest or no ability to, you know, or no access to a car or or desire to, to drive. And there was an article about this recently, but it was something that I've had in my mind forever. Mm -hmm. And that is when you were making a right turn For most of the intersections in which uh, a car is going to be making a right turn and a cyclist is going to be going straight through the intersection, a cyclist is meant to allow uh, cars, vehicles, to get closer to the curb than they are. So a a car is meant to, if there's a, a bike lane, to enter 
uh, the bike lane in order to make a right turn, and the cyclist is to, to go around on the left. Now, if you're an experienced cyclist, you've probably you probably do that anyway because it's just the safer thing to do. One of the most dangerous places to be as a cyclist is uh, on the uh, on the passenger side of a car that's making a right turn. Uh, so you probably have figured mm-hmm. out if you're an experienced cyclist to go around on the on the on the left side. But what you might not know is that it's actually uh, a road rule that if you are learning how to drive in the city, it's something that they say cars, you must get as close to the curb as possible, go in through the broken lines into a bike lane, if that's what it is, and, you know, make that turn. I have in the city had uh, several cyclists be uh, very, very upset with me for trying to follow this rule. But I and I and I only do it kind of tenuously because I always have to look and see if if there's a cyclist who maybe doesn't understand that rule and I'm coming in, um, then I try not to do it. But some people come up on the on the on the passenger side anyway and bang my car door and say, you know, you're in the bike lane. And I fault those people not at all, because how are they supposed to know, right? It's a really dangerous thing to assume that this this rule that, okay, if everybody has that education, sure, maybe it could work. But if not everybody has that education, it's actually an extremely dangerous rule to have uh, uh, cars try to get into the bike lane if they're, if they're making a right-hand turn and putting cyclists in the most dangerous position. Now, I know that that, you know, if you're if you're not a very spatial person and that explanation means nothing to you, hope maybe we can post um, post the article that I'm referring to that that references that rule trying to tell everybody like, hey, this is this is the actual way you're supposed to do it. But at that article, I think it was in the star. So, you know, maybe you won't even be able to see it because there's a payroll now. But um, oh, yeah. But that uh, that article said that most people in the city don't follow that rule. And it's just like if the rule, if most people don't follow the rule, if cyclists don't know about the rule, why is it a rule? <laughs> Maybe it's the worst rule in the world. Like perhaps there should be another rule that keeps people safe rather than venture out into the driver's side of a car um, and into a more dangerous situation because you're surrounded on both sides by motorists. It also requires a car to even signal right, you know, because there's a whole bunch of other factors as well. Sometimes cars want to turn right and then they change their mind and then they go straight and that's super dangerous or they don't actually signal, but they're slowing down. So like, hey, obviously I'm turning right. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't signal. So like, you know, meet me half fucking way. What are you trying to do right now? Yeah. And it gets very, very stressful because in Toronto, you get a situation and I'm referencing Toronto, obviously, because I know the city the best in terms of being a cyclist, but also because downtown, like there are a lot of cyclists. And so you often get a situation where cars are actually surrounded on both sides as they're Mm -hmm. trying to turn right with cyclists. And it's yeah, it's 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 ultra Mm -hmm. dangerous. Like Mm -hmm. the right hand turn. I have to say, I think that the right hand turn is proof that humanity is like not super smart. Oh yeah. It is <laughs> it is so dangerous and it wasn't until I moved to Quebec City where I saw a city handle right-hand turns differently that I really appreciated how dangerous it is. So in Quebec City, you cannot turn right on almost all red lights. And pedestrians cannot cross 
while cars are in the intersection. And so um, we have scramble intersections at almost every downtown intersection. Mm-hmm. But it's not the scramble intersection that you have at Young and Nada Square, where kind of idiotically you have uh, you have uh, green left, um, you know, east west, and pedestrians can go north south, and pedestrians can go, and then scramble, and pedestrians can go. Why would they do that? <laughs> I, I I mean, whoever did that needs to be slapped in the face with like logic or something. <laughs> like maybe maybe there's a reason that we're just not seeing. Like if somebody is an urban planner out there or who who knows this kind of stuff and is like, no, no, y'all have got it wrong. Like, here's the actual reason why. Please let us know. But I can't figure it out. I can't either. <laughs> no sense to me. Well, they also made it they made it illegal to turn at all for cars, which is also very frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. maybe that's related to it. But it's like so here it's like east west goes pedestrians cannot go north south goes pedestrians cannot go. So cars are not stopped by pedestrians to turn right you can just turn right mm-hmm. there's no problem you're turning mm-hmm. right you're turning right mm-hmm. you're turning right cyclists are in a bit of a gray area because um cyclists kind of obey traffic but then they also sometimes use the scramble but oftentimes if they're using the scramble they're at least slowing down and yielding to pedestrians it's kind of another issue but you don't have the right hand turns on the red that kills and hurts so many cyclists because unless it's your turn to go there you're not like I think in Toronto, the biggest problem is, is that you get stuck behind a car that's turning right and there's pedestrians there. So they actually can't go. And so the cyclists can go up on the passenger side while the car's waiting for pedestrians to go and kind of sneak around that way. And that's where you get super unsafe situations. Mm-hmm. If you close the intersection to people crossing it for north, south, east, west, and then it's like intersection is closed to cars and pedestrians can scramble. They can go kitty corner. They can go straight. They can go to the side. I have to, it is so much better. And drivers here are like some of the driving advocates. Like we've got talk radio that like brags about how to kill a cyclist and stuff or hit a cyclist. And it's just horrible. And so they, they hate that you have to wait at the light a little bit longer because I think it turns into 30 seconds on average. But like if the lights are in your favor, it's totally good. But if you are making a right when pedestrian, so actually, uh, Young and Dundas isn't the best example because. Um, you know, yeah, of course, pedestrians should be able to walk when uh, cars are going in one direction and there's no right right turns or left turns, So, which is, I guess, right. why people can walk. A better example is Bay and Bloor, where... Oh, yeah. ...where there's a scramble and, uh, you know, you can go north-south at, at one point, you can go east-west at one point, and then there's also a scramble. During the scramble, or during the north, uh, when cars can go... Uh, north, south, or east, west, pedestrians can still walk and cars can turn right. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. And it's, you can end up waiting there as a driver, you know, beyond one or two lights, which is what makes drivers so intense about wanting to turn as soon as possible, yeah. as soon as they see a tiniest gap, which makes it dangerous to check for things like a cyclist. Like, is my blind spot really clear? I mean, I'm, as I say, a nervous driver, so I'm always checking. I'd rather stay there for three lights rather than than move. But I understand uh, that why the planning of it makes it a very dangerous situation. If there were no rights on a red light, if there were no rights at all on a red light and you didn't have to wait for that moment and there were no pedestrians at the times when cars were moving... At the scrambles like Bay and Bloor and Young and Bloor, 
it would just make so much more sense in terms of safety. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It works so well here. Like then then the only real issue is people like trying to race the red light and then they kind of go through the scramble intersection before people have actually entered it. I see that pretty frequently. But like at least you're not dodging right hand turns or left hand turns for that matter. Right. Like I actually can get into the intersection and tell my kids to run up ahead because I can see all of the cars are stopped. (laughs) Right. And this is new. This is not something that has always happened here. I think a lot of people think that it's illegal to turn right in all of um, in all of Quebec, but it's it's just the island of Montreal where you cannot turn right on a red mm-hmm. in, in most cases. Uh, in Quebec City, um, there's signs that forbid it in a lot of cases. So it's almost as if it's forbidden, but it's not quite forbidden. But these scramble intersections are such an easy solution. And I I hope, like, people should think about this. If you are interested in urban planning and in, in advocating for, for safer, um, safer roads or whatever, like, this is one very simple solution that I am just so surprised that doesn't exist um, in the rest of Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. Ter- turns are so, so dangerous. Yes, they are. Going back to the, the cyclist uh, versus car problem in Toronto. So uh, as, as we said, there's uh, a very, very high number of people who've been killed. And in some cases it was, you know, there was a, a transport t- a truck who was allowed downtown uh, and or, or is downtown during the day and hit a, a, hit a cyclist. Uh, there's been some horrible situations where, again, you don't, trucks don't see cyclists. They turn right or they turn left and, and, and you get swept up underneath the, the, the truck. But it it also just is part of the broader war on average people, I think, in the city. Because everyone is potentially a pedestrian. Mm -hmm. Every single person is a pedestrian. Not every single person is is a cyclist. Not every single person is a driver. And not every single person takes public transit. But but pedestrians is 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 everybody. And when you have a situation where 100% of the population is potentially a pedestrian and still so many pedestrians are dying or so much bad planning uh has has created a situation where pedestrians are dying, it's it's really amazing to me that it's not a bigger outcry to fix some of the problems in 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 our cities that are leading to these kinds of deaths. It's it, like Toronto especially has become the rich man's playground and you can see the the side effects of that everywhere and if it is unsafe to walk across the street with a stroller or if it's unsafe to be to be slower crossing the street um, there's a lot of elderly folks who've also lost their lives um, whether as cyclists or as pedestrians that's the ultimate sign that you are not welcome in this city that this city is not constructed for you for how you live in it how you move in it and how you interact with people around you within it because this car mentality it's like you get in the car you're in a suit of armor and uh and either you're very compassionate and you're very worried and you're a driver in the way that you've described I was hit by a driver like that once and he he was almost crying because he hit me. <laughs> it was like, it's okay, man. I'm okay. <laughs> um, or, or you're, you're, you're a, a shithead and you actually uh, don't mind hitting a cyclist and you don't mind because the fines are so low. The enforcement is, is almost nil. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know that it's like, other than taking someone's life, which should be horrible, it's like not really a big deal. Cause it's not going to affect you financially. Um, it's, it's, it's dystopic, right? It's like this, it's dystopia Toronto where the car is king. I know we call it Toronto for a reason, but it's like, 
and this exi- this is not just in the this is not just in an urban center like Toronto, right? It's like can we why don't we have even in small towns like the the town that I grew up in the cycling infrastructure it's getting a little bit better but again like when I moved to Toronto it was because I couldn't get myself from where I lived to the go station because biking wasn't an option because it was only on the the busiest scariest streets for three kilometers it was like I can't do that that's too scary Mm -hmm. I need a Mm -hmm. car to go three kilometers and we have no no city bus because I come from a town that's so racist that they equate buses with people who aren't white and they've resisted that for years you can look it up Georgetown Ontario that's true um <laughs> Georgetown I <laughs> <laughs> oh, god damn it that what a place. place what a place um and so like again uh we we hear a lot of great infrastructure uh announcements um for public transit but where are where is cycling infrastructure in the suburbs or where is cycling infrastructure on in, in, in rural communities. Like, why can't mm-hmm. you just make a bike highway, Ontario? Like, Quebec's got an amazing bike highway. Bike highway would be great. That'd be great. And, you know, there there are examples in the city where it is done well, like where, um, where bikes are elevated from the road, for example. And so there's no, there's uh, mud or bikes are, yeah, bike lanes are elevated from uh, the general road. So uh, there is less of a chance that a motorist will come into contact with a cyclist or um, the, the new, relatively new um, biking plan around the University of Toronto, where if you're at a stoplight, the bikes line up in front of the cars, and so they right. have an advance uh, before the b- before everybody else goes forward. After a red light turns green, the bikes go forward, um, and then there's uh, there's I've started to see a few uh, specific bike lights around the city that give uh, bikes an advance go before uh, cars go, or a separate go altogether from cars. So there's um, there's one of these, uh, there's actually quite a few of these bike lights down by the lakeshore where there's a lot of biking infrastructure and there's one closer to the University of Toronto that gives bikes a specific priority. Um, and then, you know, we have examples like the great infrastructure that was on Jarvis Street for a while uh, that, you know, when a conservative councillor came in or a, conserv- a more conservative uh, Toronto City Council came in, they decided to do away with those really great bike lanes that were always my way home for uh, quite some time and replace it with this this strange middle lane, which, you know, my parents tell me is what Jarvis used to be like before, uh, this strange mm-hmm. middle lane that can either go north or south, depending on the time of day. And there's these lights that that say whether it's a north street or a south street, that not all the motorists know about. I can't tell you how many times I've been on Jarvis and seen someone using the middle lane in the wrong direction and almost getting hit. And so we've replaced this excellent bike infrastructure with this terrible motorist infrastructure and I'm just like there's so many really great examples why aren't we expanding that instead of getting rid of what we've got oh totally I had a the pleasure of taking a an eight kilometer bike path to um, a conference in Ottawa every day for a week and it was in Gatineau and it was just like fully separated 
lots of space to pass if I needed to pass someone. Uh, there was no pedestrians as well because like oftentimes when you have a pedestrian bike lane combination, it gets really dangerous because you come up on people really quickly. And it's like, the, how hard is this? This isn't hard. Like we create snowmobiling paths all through the province. Like <laughs> just lay some asphalt and come up with some bike infrastructure. Like this is this is always for me a question of power and of of the expression of power with capital right Mm -hmm. like you are more powerful because you can afford a vehicle you have a vehicle you are protected by this vehicle and if someone hits you versus you hitting someone you are likely to survive and they are likely to not survive and it's like most people don't see driving like that Um, for most people driving is second nature it's mundane you don't think about it at all because it's just like what you have to do um, hence, like, you know, there's that whole this whole crisis of children being left in the car mm-hmm. and people wonder how that's possible. It's like it's possible because life has become so routine with with cars that you, you know, a second that something goes weird in your day, it can throw everything off in, in very horrible and tragic ways. But like pedestrians are the most vulnerable. Cyclists are probably as vulnerable as pedestrians because your bike doesn't protect you. And in fact, it makes it even more dangerous because you're going fast both groups of people need to have more protection on the roads than cars do. And currently every city in Canada gives more protection to cars and to trucks. Trucks of course are a huge problem too. That's probably a whole other episode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We have to think about it in these terms. It's like who has power and who doesn't have power and how do we equalize that power a little bit more so that it is not like David versus Goliath as you're just trying to get to work or to school. Mm -hmm. And I mean, some of the fixes are just, Again, so simple. Like I, you know, there's this, if anyone's ever been doored before on a bike, as I have, have you? No, I haven't. Oh, lucky you. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. I've, I've seen it. I've had someone doored right in front of me before. It's the worst. So being doored, we're referring to, you know, when you're uh, cycling down a street and perhaps a, a car has uh, stopped and uh, someone's opening their door to get out and doesn't see the cyclist coming down and um, opens the door right either right into a cyclist or the cyclist hits the door because the door is open too quickly for the cyclist to stop. I think about uh, a lot of the infrastructure that is now around Bloor Street where a, a car cannot park and open its door and harm a cyclist because the parking spots um, don't interact with the biking lane. It goes sidewalk, bike lane, parking spot, rather than sidewalk, parking spot, and bike lane, which is how some cars interpret right. the, the bike lane as an as a also a place where they can stop. And and then road, mm-hmm. which doesn't make sense. And how easy is it uh, to to set up? Um, a situation where the bike lanes are protected from even the parked cars. My my most dangerous um, accidents on a bike, and I think I don't think it's possible to live in the city of Toronto and be a cyclist and not have gotten into an accident. Like I think everybody does. Yeah. So yeah, some of the 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 most terrifying accidents that you can get into when you're on a on a bike in the city is being doored, and uh, when when you have to venture away from the bike lane because uh, uh, some sort of vehicle has parked in the bike lane. I recall um, driving, you know, cycling home uh, on Dundas 
which, you know, I lived on Dundas, so I had to go on Dundas. And people are like, why, why, don't, why do you take the dangerous streets? Because uh, I live on a dangerous street. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm cycling home. And there's a giant Brinks truck parked in, in, the, in the cycling lane. And of course, Dundas is a street where there's streetcar tracks. Mm-hmm. And so I have to, um, you know, I'm checking my blind, I'm spe- checking my blind spots, checking my blind spots. There's cars coming up behind me, but I, I really have to go into, you know, the, the general lane for cars. And I have to do it really mm-hmm. carefully because I could get caught stuck in a streetcar track. So I signal, yep. look behind me, I'm good, start to go over a car who is speeding, you know, probably driving around 60 in a in a uh, on an urban street where you're not supposed to be driving over 40, um, just starts honking mm-hmm. and starts powering through to to try to force me to move back. But there's nowhere for me to go. So I just got stuck in the streetcar track because I couldn't go over it at the angle that you need to go over it in order to avoid getting stuck. And of course, I get just completely flung from my bike. Uh, My bike was fucked. I was fucked. And people around were just staring like, oh, my God, because it's so hard to figure out what to do. Like, how do you help this person while it's happening? Obviously, people helped after the car had gone and finished their fuck you uh, out the window. But, you know, what are, what what was I supposed to do at that moment? Like such a dangerous um, uh, situation that, that that creates allowing cars to park or stop in a bike lane. Oh, yeah. It's, in, it's like inconvenience the drivers, maybe. And that, like what you described, happens all the time because if you're on any of those streets with streetcar tracks which are a lot in downtown toronto um you you as you say you have to take the lane because if you're not taking the lane then you're riding between a streetcar track and the truck itself like literally you have to take the lane there's no other option Mm -hmm. like people people got to be safe so stay safe and 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 anybody who's participating in critical mass i think critical mass is is such an important manifestation of cycling power i think that because the solutions are so easy and because in this situation it really maybe explain maybe explain critical mass for people who don't live in urban settings or might not know about it critical mass happens uh usually once a month in a a lot of cities in north america where um cyclists just take to the streets and they take over streets and they drive through the streets as a show of you know, these are our streets as well. We're we're taxpayers. We pay just as much as drivers do for these streets, and uh, we deserve to be on them. And so, as I say, usually once a month. Sometimes there's special events as well where a uh, critical mass can just awesomely take over a street. It sounds like a parade. Everyone's ringing their bells, having a good time, and uh, some real cyclist solidarity going on while cars pound their fists against their. Uh, wheels because they're just so mad (laughs) and drivers listen to something that chills you out if it's this if it's not this podcast listen to like that special channel that plays um movie music but slowed down a thousand times or Sigur Ross yeah I think it's the same thing but yeah I think um you know what's the takeaway here the takeaway here is that drivers one, you know, relax. You're gonna you're gonna survive <laughs> uh, your commute most likely. I mean, maybe we should do a whole other show on 
you know, highway driving and how easy it is to actually die if you are a motorist. But uh, yeah. most likely, if you're in the city, you're going to survive uh, your your uh, commute. Uh, relax. Don't don't fight with a with a cyclist who is like literally in fear of their life. Um, their their all entire the commute all the time. And cities, be better to your cyclists, please. Like, let's just implement the common sense stuff that makes sense to to implement in order to prevent loss of life. Like, I just, you know, this isn't a left right issue. Although, yeah, I guess it is, but it's not really. It shouldn't no. be. Um, nobody wants to be in these situations. Uh, so let's just make the streets safer for everybody. Yep. Smarten up. Mm-hmm.